Hey everybody, thank you for downloading this episode of the Final Third Podcast. It's a solo episode, but I talk about all of the final game weeks for all of the the big five leagues where everything ended up going for all the you know the title races the relegation races the the champions league races that were going on a lot of crazy news including manchester city winning ac milan breaking an 11 year curse and rb leipzig winning the dfb pokal all this and more including u.s women's national team getting equal pay we talk about all this or i should say i talk about all of this and more on this episode uh if you enjoy it leave a rating very much appreciated and yeah enjoy the show hello everybody what and welcome back to the final third podcast it is monday it is our news and predictions episode my name is aj tabura i am a fan of west ham united which didn't go well this weekend but what can you expect when you're going against the mighty mighty brighton of course, they're going to lose. They're such a, an amazing team that has, you know, definitely been the best team in this league. And that's the reason why West Ham have now lost or failed to win 10 games in a row against them. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I'm also a fan of Minnesota United, which I just finished their game against FC Dallas. And that was a fun away win to watch. Great goals from DJ Taylor. And actually, Paul Ariola, U.S. men's national team player, scored a banger against us. Unfortunate. Also a fan of, speaking of the U.S. national teams, uh, the U.S. national teams, yeah. Uh, fun side, uh, and it's it's been some pretty good news for both the men's and the women's side of things. Men's side, of course, you have uh, the roster that just came out. Not going to be talking about that this week, but potentially uh, in the next coming weeks for some more deep dive episodes. Uh, but we got Gaga Slonina and Malik Tillman to declare for the U.S. That's really exciting. And of course, maybe even more important, something I will, we will talk about today is the U.S. Women's National Team ensuring equal pay going ahead thanks to a new CBA that got signed. Great, great news. Great, great news. And this is the part where I'll probably throw to Jack. But however, Jack is not here right now. Jack is currently spending time with his family. So I am recording this one alone don't fret, though, because even though I'm going over a lot of news, a lot of things that are wrapping up uh, the end of the season here in Europe. I said here I don't live in Europe, but you know what I mean? Uh, I'm not going to be the only one talking about this because Jack will be here on Thursday and we will be going more in depth into the end of the European season, both in England, both uh, in, in Italy, Germany, Spain. So everything that you could possibly ask for, we'll be talking about in the next coming weeks uh, as we you know, probably give an end of season best 11 as well after, of course, the Champions League concludes and all of that fun stuff. So keep in mind. For this episode, I will be going through some of the biggest news that are happening in the soccer world, both on and off the field, particularly in Europe. But I will not be going too in-depth, just instead giving you all the things you need to know in order to uh, feel like you're well-versed in some of these topics. And if someone asks you, hey, uh, what do you think about Burnley getting relegated? You can actually give a, a, an interesting take that's not just reacting blindly to Burnley going down. Not that that's not fun. That's always fun. Burnley going down is kind of funny. But, you know, some more information that can better contextualize this situation. So, yeah, like I said, going to go pretty much country by country and talk about how things wrapped up in those respective leagues, both either in Europe or in the domestic cups and leagues. All right. And if you enjoy the show and enjoy me or particularly Jack, because Jack is probably the better co-host. Jack, if you're listening to this, uh, I'm lying. I'm the better one, of course. Uh, but follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show or go to our website, FinalThirdShow.com for a one stop shop for all things Final Third Podcast. We love to do this, uh, this podcast as a hobby, and it means a lot to us when people support us, comment on our stuff, uh, like and retweet our tweets. It's a lot of fun. But yeah, Jack is gone, so it's the AJ show, and I promise I will be as upbeat as possible to keep this entertaining. And I have a feeling it's going to be a great show, because there's a lot to talk about, starting, of course, with England, who, I mean, it's probably the title of this entire episode, Manchester City win the Premier League. And what I have to say, one of the most, if not the most, interesting, exciting final match days that I have seen 
I I wasn't watching back in what is it 2012 when they when they uh, beat QPR the Aguero moment to win the league. But this has to be at least in a lot of people's minds that follow Manchester City a close second. Manchester City win finishing just one point 93 points to 92 points ahead of Liverpool cementing their spots atop of the Premier League making that what uh. The, the the fourth yeah fourth Premier League title under Pep Guardiola since he took over in the mid 2010s that is a huge huge feat and so how did this happen well as it stood Manchester City before this game was one point ahead of Liverpool which meant that as long as they win you know their fates were in their hand as long as they win they would be able to claim the title as their own if they failed to win either draw or lose to their uh, opponent Aston Villa then it wouldn't be in their hands and something would have to happen in the Liverpool and Wolves game where Liverpool failed to win and in which case City would still win so so basically Manchester City just had to win to win it all or Liverpool had to fail to win you know draw or lose because Manchester City was ahead of Liverpool in the goal difference, so that would be the tiebreaker there. And so, as it turned out, Aston Villa put up quite the fight. Matty Cash scored a header from Lucas Dinier in the 37th minute, and Manchester City goes into the first half down by one, and it, it, it really stunned them, because when you look at the stats from the first half, it's not like Aston Villa outplayed them. 0.23 xg i mean that's fine but manchester city had 0.48 it, the shots were going to manchester city and when you look at the shot map uh aston villa had four shots total meanwhile manchester city were peppering them with 24 shots this was kind of a flash in the pan a uh, very much uh aston villa taking it up into their own shoulders and trying to force their way into this game and force their way into this game they did maddie cash scoring that header Wonderful header, by the way. Kind of, you know, stunned Manchester City going into the break, and it only got worse from there. It was a deadlock. Zinchenko came in for Fernandinho. Uh, Zinchenko didn't start, but he created a, a lot, you know, uh, helped in the, in the defense. Fernandinho admittedly did not have a great game. That's why he got subbed off in uh, the first half. Uh, other... Other notable subs that got that came in was uh, Raheem Sterling and Ilkay Gundogan uh, replace Riyad Mahrez and Bernardo Silva, respectively. And I'll tell you why they come up uh, and why I'm telling you this in a second. But Philip Coutinho, uh, something even more in a, in a in a goal that I think Ederson maybe could have saved. It's two to zero in the 69th minute, and with just 20 minutes to go, you have to assume that Manchester City have this uh, pretty much out of their hands. And when you flip over. Uh, to the Liverpool game, it started out pretty poorly. Uh, Pedro Neto basically scored in, in in the first three minutes, stunned Liverpool at Anfield, and suddenly Wolves are ahead, and it looks like Manchester City might get a let off because you know uh, Liverpool are down as well. Mane, of course, in Mane fashion, scores in twenty fourth minute, and then suddenly we have a uh, Salah and Firmino who come in and kind of save things right at the end for Liverpool. Uh, Mohamed Salah, of course, scores to make it 2-1 in the 84th minute. 89th minute, Andrew Robertson, assisted by Roberto Firmino, the sub, uh, puts Liverpool up 3-1. And it took them a while. It took them until the 80th minute, but suddenly Liverpool are ahead. And where this... If Manchester City didn't end up winning, it could have been uh, Liverpool lifting its title because they won this game. Basically... At the time, around the 70th minute for uh, uh, with this the game, Liverpool versus Wolves, if Liverpool scored a goal, it would mean that they won. It would have meant that they won. If they won this game, it would, they would have won. Because at the time, Manchester City would have to score three unanswered goals to win this entire league. And then that actually did happen, starting with a Gundogan goal. It was a header assisted by Raheem Sterling. And then just two minutes later, Rodri scored, assisted by Zinchenko. Again, the, uh, these three, these two goals, I should say, had involvements uh, from three of the subs. 
huge, huge tactical mastery by Pep Guardiola. Uh, but Rodri scores a, a pretty long distance goal, goes crazy. It's two to two, which basically means that Liverpool are still in the driver's seat because they can score and win and get ahead. However, that's not what happened because just three minutes later, it's three to two in favor of Manchester City. Kevin De Bruyne has a wonderful hop and skip to weave past the Villa defenders, crosses it perfectly, misses everybody else except his target, Ilkay Gundogan, to make it three to two. The Etihad goes completely crazy. Gundogan is absolutely, absolutely, insanely happy. He jumps around. Very, very exciting. And that's that. At that point, I feel like Aston Villa, you know, they hadn't even gotten a shot off at this point. It's a, it's it's patterns you see from perhaps the West Ham game from last week that could have also been uh, being down 2-0, Manchester City coming back to win 3-2 if it wasn't for Lukas Fabianski. And it, it tells a lot about Pep Guardiola and the world-class midfield that he has, the world-class a bench that he, he gets afforded because you have uh, Bernardo Silva who played a good game. De Bruyne who obviously um, had an amazing season, won a, a player of the year award from some some organization, I don't know. Uh, Rodri, of course, had those goals, uh, had that goal as well. Such Such great mental fortitude from not just Pep Guardiola, but this entire team to keep on going even after going down 2-0 to zero in the last two games to get results and create something out of really nothing that is unmatched you do not see that from every single team a lot of other teams would crumble under that pressure will just take the loss but manchester city because of their wonderful coaching because of the talent that gets afforded uh for them they were able to push past that and not collapse in a way that would have been pretty embarrassing so because manchester city ended up going ahead of Aston Villa, Liverpool could have done nothing. At this point, after uh, Salah and Robertson score their goals, there's just hoping that Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa can get them a win uh, for this, uh, a win, uh, winning the title, sorry. And that wasn't the case. Aston Villa weren't able to equalize at all. And Metro City ends up completing the incredible comeback to win it. And... I mean, who, who, who can say they, they don't deserve it? When you look at the stats, Manchester City are on top for pretty much every, every single stat. Goals per match, they're first with 2.6. Goals conceded per match, they're last, so it means they concede the least, only 0.7. Average possession, uh, clean sheets, XG, uh, and XG against, they are the best in their class. Accurate passes per match, accurate long balls per match, uh, interceptions uh, per match. They're last because they, they didn't need that. That, that that's, how, that's how clinical they were, right? Uh, clearances per match, also, they were last because they didn't need to do that. That's how w- well-oiled that their midfield, like I mentioned, was. And it's not even just the fact that they played well, but they were well-disciplined. They are last in red cards and yellow cards. You can say that's a conspiracy theory, but really, this is... This was a very, very well-oiled machine. Thanks in part to all the money they spent in the last couple of years. says a lot about their project. But also Pep Guardiola and his ability to get the most out of his players uh, despite having to uh, rotate them and and work with multiple different lineups, multiple different players, multiple different uh, tactical approaches. And yes, sometimes that doesn't work in the Champions League. That is a fault of Manchester City and of Pep Guardiola. But at the end of the day... This level of dominance is not done by any team. This is done by a not even good team, not even great team, but an amazing team that can keep up with another amazing team like Liverpool season after season after season. So now it's two in a row, fourth title under Pep Guardiola, and very, very well deserved. Manchester City fans, good job for... Uh, you, you didn't do anything, so I'm not actually going to congratulate you. Liverpool fans and Liverpool, I am sorry. It was a great season uh, filled with some of the best play that I've ever seen from a team. Fortunately, it's not meant to be, but it was an interesting title race down to the very, very last 10 minutes, literally. 
All right, so let's go on to the relegation race now. Uh, instead of talking about the title race, which was, again, very interesting. We'll probably go in more into that on Thursday. Uh, but going against uh, Leeds United was a certain Brentford. Leeds United had to win or at least hope that Burnley didn't get uh, uh, a result or anything good uh, against their opponents, which I believe, yeah, was Newcastle. And so this was th th this was crazy, right? So so basically, Burnley, as people know, uh, fired Sean Dyche, and it, they they admittedly have played better, gotten gotten some positive results, some wins, some draws. But it came down to this: they needed to be able to get some result out of this game, and hopefully, Leeds didn't didn't score, didn't win, and they could be safe from relegation. Uh, the already relegated teams were Watford and Norwich. Everton secured uh, secured a, a win and uh, their safety thanks to a, a, a midweek game against Crystal Palace. So it's literally Leeds and Burnley against each other. Burnley, as I said before, playing Newcastle United. They go down thanks to a Callum Wilson penalty in the 20th minute. In the 60th minute, Callum Wilson scores again. And looks bad for Burnley. Yes, they pull back one uh, against, uh, yeah, with co a Cornet goal in the 69th minute. And it looks like maybe they can equalize, maybe they can get a result, which would have boded very well because that Leeds game was only going all right uh, for Leeds United fans. Uh, Rafinha scores in the 56th minute. Obviously, Rafinha is going to be a world-class player if he isn't already. And... A little bit of more context about Rafinha. If they got relegated, there's no way that they would have uh, kept him, and especially they probably would have lost him for pretty cheap. And so staying up, obviously, I think he's on his way out this summer. But having him, you know, be a part of a Premier League team, uh, and having you know been sold by a Premier League te team will increase his price tag, which helps Leeds United. So obviously, him scoring was really cool. And then Canos scores for Brentford. And now Leeds United are holding on by a thread. If somehow Burnley against Newcastle equalizes, Leeds United would go down. And this is a Leeds United with, headed by Jesse Marsh, who is an American. So obviously American fans have a, a rooting a vested interest in him. And this is a team that got rid of Marcelo Bielsa uh, midway through the season. A, a cult hero for Leeds fans who really embodied the attacking mindset that a lot of people very much enjoy. He was all about attacking. He was all about uh, maybe sacrificing some, some defense for a, a nice flowing attack, pushing his players both physically and mentally to incorporate that kind of pressing style. And when Jesse Marsh came in, they started playing a little bit more defensively. Some people didn't like that. He got some results, though. Lost some games that probably shouldn't have lost. And it came down to this. Kanos gets sent off because he, you know, he, he took his yellow card. He, he took his shirt off uh, when celebrating that goal. Got a yellow card for that. And then immediately uh, uh, slided into Rafinha. It was a bad tackle. And he gets sent off. And Leeds United is on the front foot. And who else? But, you know... Who else other than someone who went through the American soccer system to save the American soccer head coach? It is Jack Harrison, previously of Wake Forest University, previously of New York City FC, previously of the MLS Super Draft, scores off a corner. It's an outside of the box goal, and he scores to make a 2-1 Leeds United. Now, no matter what happens, Burnley can't do anything. If they score, if they win the game, it's over. Leeds United have won it, and win it they did. So now Jesse Marsh is up. I I've said my piece about Jesse Marsh and this Leeds team. I still think that Marcelo Bielsa, in the long term, could probably do better than uh, Jesse Marsh. Probably has a higher ceiling than Jesse Marsh as a manager with this team. But I will admit, wholeheartedly, happily, I will admit that Jesse Marsh has done a decent to good job with this Leeds United team. I'm really glad for what he's doing for Americans in Europe in terms of his head coaching talents and what he's proven. And we see a lot more Leeds United fans being open to the fact that 
if you give him a, a transfer window, perhaps you can do a lot of great things. And that does include actually bringing in Brendan Aronson for $30 million as uh, their newest signing, which is pr pretty much confirmed at this point. He is the perfect player for the system. I can't wait to see it. They will probably lose the likes of Rafinha, maybe Calvin Phillips, but who, know who knows what's going to happen. With, with those two players sold, it's a lot of money. Maybe Leeds United can do a lot of cool things there. All right, moving on to our last story in England. Uh, let's talk about the Champions League fights. Uh, Europa League spots, I, I should say Manchester United ended up uh, taking that, that six-plate spot. West Ham are absolutely dog water against Brighton. I'm not going to talk about that. It, it, it's sad. I'm sorry. Mark Noble retired, though. So thank you, Mark Noble. Legend, Mr. West Ham. I love you. Love you so much. Uh, but let's talk about Champions League. It's uh, the North London battle between Tottenham and Arsenal. Arsenal dropping a lot, a lot, a lot of points in the last couple weeks. And it ends up being that Tottenham Hotspur, after Arsenal look like they, they can secure top four, get that top four spot and go to the Champions League. Arsenal have to settle for Europa League. But this is a story really of two teams doing well to close out the season and not doing well. So let's talk about Arsenal first. Finished two points behind Tottenham. Uh, won 5-1 against Everton, so very impressive. It's all for naught, though. And when you look at what's happened to them, the process really continues, but it falls short this year. I feel like this team really needs improvements in striker because they just weren't having the finishing that they needed in order to stay competitive in the last few weeks. And they need some kind of new found mentality. If that comes with a striker, great. But they needed to be able to put games away that are winnable instead of dropping points way too easily or falling behind way too easily. In the last, if they won any of their remaining uh, three games other than Everton, so against Tottenham or Newcastle, they would have been top four, but they couldn't. In fact, they got shut out in both of those games. This is why it's important to have a striker. This is why it's important to have a mentality that doesn't give up in, in the signs of struggle. They dropped 18 points in just six weeks. That is not a team that deserves to be in the Champions League. Let's be honest. I, I bag on West Ham all the time for doing stuff like that. Same thing with Arsenal. This is, that is not the type of mentality. That is not the type of offensive and defensive throughput that you need in order to compete with the likes of Tottenham, with the likes of Chelsea, or for a lot of Arsenal fans, hopefully the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City, right? So you need to have more investment. I know I've backed on Arteta before, and I said, oh, his players are okay. He should be probably doing better than this. I see the argument now. I see the argument that some of these players are not up to quality. We have a lot of young players that are very, very good. Uh, you know, we could talk about, you know, who we've always been talking about, Saka, uh, ESR, the likes Partey. But the simple fact is there's so much dead weight in Arsenal that needs to get rid of. And I'm excited. I'm intrigued by what this Arsenal team will look like. Mikel Arteta does, you know, sign a three-year uh, contract extension. At least I believe it's three years. And so we'll, we'll see where that leads him and that where that leads this team. Uh, but I really think that once you get some more pieces in, there really is no excuse. They're really close this year, but even if next year they don't get Champions League, that will be seen as, I think, a fireable offense for Arteta. Like, the process is long and arduous, but it has to come up good some point. And it was very, very close, and I, I think even without the Champions League, it's still been a very successful season for Arsenal, so whatever. Uh, but that is the story of Arsenal failing to make it to the Champions League a lot of changes have to be done to make this team successful, and I'm sure it's going to come eventually because they are very dead set on making this a winning team. Tottenham Hotspur, Conte has done very, very well. Keep in mind that when Spurs were in ninth place, that is when he took over last fall. A summer of investment has also been pretty much rumored, uh, pretty much confirmed is going to happen, like six players or something might be coming in. So if you build around Sun, who got the golden boot uh, alongside uh, Mohamed Salah this year, by the way, this team is going to be magical. If you build around Sun, if you build around that front three, who was very, very good this season. Um, 
in the beginning of the season, I had Spurs in sixth place because I didn't believe in Nuno. But when Conte came in and his new signings of, you know, Benton and Kulusevski came in, Kulusevski, who has 13 goals and assists, uh, it really helped turn things around. You know, Conte solved a club that was in a very toxic spot. You know, it, it didn't seem like that this team, even the locker room, had the ability to jump up and increase their quality. But it happened. That's what he does. He takes teams that aren't performing up to their standards and makes them win, makes them winning teams. And he took a team that was playing very defensively, winning one to zero games and made the front three, one of the most exciting in the league, Son, Kane and Kulusevski. I very much enjoyed watching because of their abilities to attack the ball and to act very cohesively. Son, after the winter break, after uh, in the second half of the season, played out of his mind and that is what you get when you have a world-class manager who can take uh, the likes of the defenders who I feel like weren't exactly the best under Nuno and turn them into you know, genuinely great, amazing Premier League players. I mean, you look at the likes of, uh, of, even, of even Sanchez. He has played amazing the last three games, even getting man of the match uh, against Burnley, I believe. And that's the kind of things that you get when you have a, a manager who can actually get the most out of his players, who can actually uh, defensively make things work while at the same time getting positive results out of his front three, out of uh, even the subs, even the midfield. And that's really, really cool to see. I'm not a fan of West Ham. Or I am a fan of West Ham. I'm sorry, I'll never say that again. I'm not a fan of Tottenham Hotspur. But I have to get them credit, even as a West Ham fan, is what I was just trying to say. That this was a very good season for them. And that's almost entirely thanks in part to uh, their new transfers and their new manager. So they get the Champions League. I'm very excited to see what they do, especially with that front three, especially with that newfound defense, especially with even more uh, investment and a transfer window under Conte. I, I, I can't even imagine. This is going to be very cool to watch. Uh, outside of England, or well, still in England, but outside the Premier League, Nottingham Forest will play Huddersfield Town in the promotion final to see who uh, will be that last spot to qualify for the Premier League. I'm really excited to watch that. They'll be Sunday after uh, uh, Saturday, which will be the Champions League final. So, you know, if you're not doing anything on next Sunday, definitely go watch that. We're, Jack and I are both rooting for Nottingham Forest. Uh, we are enamored by them. They're very cool. Might be my second team. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, let's go into the second story, which is actually not going to be in Europe at all. We're actually going to take a break and talk about the U.S. Women's National Team. We're going to go to the other side of the pond real quick and talk about them getting equal pay. Because after a lengthy lawsuit, the U.S. Women's National Team and U.S. Men's National Team have agreed to a new CBA that will ensure equal pay for both the men and women. Let's contextualize things a little bit. Uh, the payouts for the World Cup in, for the men's side in 2018 was $400 million. That was the ent entire uh, prize pool for uh, all the teams uh, and all the, the money they could potentially get. 2019, $30 million for the women's side very very small compared to the men's side and so that was a, a major sticking point for the woman the fact that they weren't paying uh being paid equally and so they wanted to be paid equally uh and that you know obviously gets a lot of people mad and i'll talk about that but let's talk about some of the facts now uh, after this lengthy lawsuit uh both the women's and men's team has agreed on a new cpa that will ensure equal pay uh for both of the teams the so what it's going to look like now instead of the woman getting paid a certain amount based on the world cup winnings based on the revenue that they make and the men making a, another such fraction of what they make the ussf in the current world cup cycle will take 10 percent of the prize money to do whatever they need to do you know reinvest that into uh the, the different departments they have, uh, maybe use that for administrative reasons, whatever, 10%, whatever. But the rest of the 90% will be split evenly, evenly amongst the 46 players that make up the 23-person rosters for each team. That's huge. Basically, it means that it doesn't matter how much the women make, how much the men make in the World Cup in terms of bringing in money. They will split that evenly between 
every single player that the 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 USSF takes to the World Cup. I mean that is that is that is huge, right? That basically says that we that USSF is artificially equalizing the 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 prize pool from the world cups so keep that in mind the fact that it it, they are taking into their own hands or i shouldn't say taking they were forced to take into their own hands uh the fact that fifa as an organization are paying these two sides unequally and solving it in house right beyond that for games appearance and for games appearances will be the same sorry uh and that is also huge that's for friendlies and uh official competitions the appearances that these team that players will make are the same for both teams a commercial revenue share is equal no guaranteed salaries for u.s women's national team players that was a big big uh, point in the last couple cbas uh that's no longer there mixed feelings about that but generally everything else is really really good and as you can probably guess that this is a huge huge moment this has gotten on mainstream news it was tweeted about by the president and this is a cause for celebration you give credit to the men because they are taking what is effectively some sort of pay cuts uh some sort of uh maybe revenue lost and i I see a lot of people giving them credit because you know they had to agree to this they had to agree to something that wasn't in their best interest but was ultimately the right thing to do uh i I get that but i also have to say that you probably should and i mean i should not probably should you should give even more credit to this u.s women's national team who who has been fighting tooth and nail for the past four or five years for equal pay doing protests putting their reputation on their line getting a lot of hate online and, and even in person for standing up for what is right which is equal pay amongst any gender and that is so important that we give them credit because i know I, I we shouldn't frame it but in a way that makes it seem like the men so graciously gave them something no the women fought for this and that is something to be celebrated so credit to the men but more credit to the women of course and i'm really happy to see this i'm a big fan of the us women's national team i, I stayed up uh, and I didn't stay up. I, I woke up at like 3 a.m., 2 a.m. during uh, the Olympics to watch these games and recorded episodes talking about those games at 2 and 3 a.m. I- I'm very dedicated uh, to being a fan of this team, even if I don't know the ins and outs of every single player. I try my best. And I know that not every guy is like that. I know for a fact that not every person is going to be a fan of the U.S. Women's National Team. But what is the harm that gets done by women making equal pay. And this is a major sticking point. This is a major discussion that's happened last week. There's no real good argument considering, or no real good argument against this entire situation, against women making uh, the same amount of money, considering that A, the men agree to this. This was a joint, uh, joint CBA. The men were completely fine with this. So why are guys online getting mad about it when Walker Zimmerman, who has a lot to lose by you know, missing out on potential revenue because of the World Cup, because he's an MLS player, and they don't make a ton of money. He could have made a ton more money if the current situation of, you know, the men getting all that prize money were to stay constant. But he was supportive, and so were so many other uh, players. And B, there's like no real moral, legal, or economical benefit to having the payments be 100% one-to-one with the commercial money gained right like the ussf there's no requirement for them paying the same amount of money or the same amount of ratio of money to both the men's and the the women's team uh based on the money they make in the world cup and that's why i harped on this situation being about solving this situation this problem in-house because that is probably like the best way to do things until fifa gives equal uh, money to both sides and there's nothing wrong with that and you see a lot of guys online uh complaining about this when the entire point of ussf is not to make a profit is not to give you know the players so much money that that's not the point it's, it's not a for-profit company it's specifically there to grow the game in the united states of america 
And how do you grow the game? You pay players money and you pump money in. I mean, I, I think it's stupid to think that women's sports can be self-sustaining right off the gate with zero help. I, I mean, of course not. They, they, they've had to uh, play catch-up after years of you know, not getting those same opportunities. So you have to put these games on TV. You have to market them. And you have to incentivize players with better wages. And I'm fine with U.S. men's national team fans or really anyone not watching US, USWNT or NWSL games if they just don't have time for it or if they don't have a huge, huge interest in it, at least trying to watch some games. Then, you know, that's fine. That's fine. They should, though, because it's fun to watch. But when it's so clear that the reason why they don't like these leagues or teams is because they don't respect or like women, it gets out of hand. Like, you see the concern trolling where people say, oh, no, the men are getting screwed over and that's bad. This is going to hurt the men's team and everybody involved. Or the arrogance argument where uh, they say, like, oh, the U.S. women's national team is annoying, Rapino, blah, blah, blah. It's not apathy. It is anger. And it's anger that the sport that they hold so closely uh, to their heart of being a space for only men is being infiltrated by non-men, by equally qualified people, women or otherwise. It, it, it's that anger that fuels this hatred towards the women's team, that fuels this hatred towards equal pay. It's not because they don't like women's soccer because it's lower quality, because how, if they did, they would be in support of uh, putting in more money. It's specifically because they don't like women or they don't value the work that women does equally to men. And there's really no other way to look at it. And I hope that when we talk about NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team, when we invite you know, people like Gianna to come on to talk about the issues and the, the great things that NWSL is doing, we make it clear that this is our stance. And we are proud of the U.S. Women's National Team, the people on it, the people working for them, uh, and the fans and all the supporters that have helped push this through. We hope to, to make it clear that we, we are one of those supporters. We, Jack and I, are so happy for this, and there's nothing else to say. Maybe in the future we'll talk a little bit more about this. I don't think. This is, this, hopefully this is the end of this, and we can work on improving the quality of the game in the women's side, improving uh, their quality of life when they play for the teams, and we can keep on going on this fight even further, even further. And with that, congratulations again to the U.S. Women's National Team and their fans, myself included. It's been a great, great week. All right, let's go on to the next country we're talking about, which is Italy, because after 11 long years, AC Milan have broken their curse and have won the Scudetto. They've won the Italian Serie A. Crappy managers. A ninth place finish, if I'm remembering correctly. No Champions League for the longest time. And now they are back. They finished on top after uh, besting Inter Milan by just two points. Their closest and deepest rivals. That was great. Uh, and yeah, this was such, such a great win for them. And it's it's a little crazy because I've talked about it. It's a uh, it's crazy that that they won despite only scoring six nine goals. Yes, that's a lot. That's less than Inter, Napoli, Lazio, uh, and pretty close to the likes of Atalanta and uh, Verona. And they've conceded just thirty one goals, but that is you know the same as Napoli or close to Inter. Like it's not like this team was statistically the most amazing team. I mean, it started off kind of rocky for a lot of uh, this season. And it looked like, you know, maybe they don't make it. I mean, they they crashed out of the Champions League and they got fourth place in their Champions League groups. And it, it, it looked like potentially that this season may not have been it. Maybe Napoli take it. Maybe Inter Milan take it again. But they got so, so consistent when that wasn't the word to describe them at uh, the beginning of the season. From February onwards, uh, they did not lose a single game. In the league, I should say. They, they lost in the, the Coppa Italia. They had not lost a game 
since Monday, January 17th in the league. That is crazy, crazy consistency. And you, how they benefited from that was by having amazing, amazing players be a part of this team. And more often than not, when you have a group of young players, you're going to have a lot of inconsistency. We saw with the U.S. Women's National Team. But if, if you haven't watched uh, this AC Milan team, first of all, I suggest you do. But second, you have to recognize that a lot of these young players are the players that stepped up, which is not what you see from every single team. Stefano Pioli was on the hot seat just two years ago in 2020 after a you know, not-so-great season. And he's come back, and he has been amazing organizing this team, getting the most out of these young players. But, the, but with these players, I, I should say, were huge. Were huge. Giroud and Zlatan, of course, were great number nines, 19 goals between them. Rafael Liao, one of the best players in you know, the top five leagues in the world right now. At just 22, scored 11 goals and assisted eight of them. Was honestly one of you know, probably in the top three for MVPs for his AC Milan team. Him and maybe Teo Hernandez, who's amazing on both sides, got 11 goals plus assists. Huge, huge uh, season from him. One of the most talented left backs that you'll ever see. And then you have Tonali, Tomori, uh, Kalulu, Kessie, uh, Benesser, Mike Mignon, an incredibly young team. I think Mike Mignon might be the, the oldest one of, of those Maybe Benesar, I'm forgetting how old they are, but like 25, 26. A lot of them, like uh, Tamori's 22, uh, got, got some 24-year-olds, uh, 23-year-olds. Very, very, very young. An incredibly young team. And the fact that they were able to put it all together to, to come after 11 years to win this title speaks volumes about where they were as a team. The fact that they went four months without, without losing was huge and that required the likes of Kessie, of Liao, of Benesser to all come together and play out of their minds. And when you look at the stats, I mean, I, the, 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 they, they speak for themselves. This wasn't, this wasn't necessarily a team that was on top of every single stat. They were not on top of goals per match, of expected goals, of big chances created. They were eighth. They were eighth in accurate passes. They were they they did not they were pretty middle of the pack for interceptions per match. This was not a team that by themselves are inherently some amazing team, but it's the fact that they were able to come together. I keep on saying this, I keep on repeating myself, but it's just been very very impressive. And I'll I'll before I repeat myself a fifth time, I'll leave it at that. Definitely an amazing and amazing uh, Syria title race up top, Milan and Inter, Napoli. Great, great, great. I, I loved watching it, especially when they played each other. That was very dramatic. Uh, Jack's an Atlanta fan. I just have to say before we move on, Atlanta got eighth place, and I find that kind of funny. I'm sure we're going to talk about some of the best players that come out of these leagues. And if he puts an Atlanta player in there, I, I'll know that there's some bias because there's no way that an Atlanta player honestly deserves to be there. No offense to Atlanta. Uh, but Fiorentina got that 7th place spot. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. All right, moving on from Italy. Let's go to France. And you're wondering, AJ, you never really talk about France uh, because it's not like their league is really all that interesting. Why are you talking about it now? Well, that's because a certain Kylian Mbappe, probably one of the best players in the world, is staying at Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, he's renewed his contract until 2025, despite rumors saying that he was pretty much guaranteed to be going to Real Madrid, a, a club that he has looked fondly upon since his childhood. He was a childhood fan of Real Madrid, and suddenly, he's staying in Paris. And he's getting so much money. So, so much money. 600 million euros over three years. That's a lot. That's a lot, because it's after taxes, too. That is unbelievable. And, you know, if you have not been living on Iraq, you know that Real Madrid was pushing so hard. They're pushing at Holland. But, you know, Mbappe being a fan of Real Madrid, being what's likely going to be the best player for the next few years, 
to get him in they wanted that they wanted that and to see him not go to real madrid and stay in psg when it seemed like he was pretty clearly upset uh, about their failures in the champions league it is surprising it, it is a complete it's a complete left hook that we did not see and la liga apparently did not really see this happening either because they will apparently sue psg i'll read the quote out a uh, quote it is scandalous that a club like psg which last season lost more than 220 million euros after accumulating losses of 700 million euros in recent seasons even after declaring income from sponsorships of a very dubious amount with cost of sports staff around 650 million euros for the season 21-22 can afford an agreement for these characteristics while those clubs that could assume the arrival of a player without compromising their wage bill are left without being able to sign him for all those above la liga will file a complaint against psg before uefa administrative and fiscal authorities in france and before the competent the yeah competent bodies of the european union in order to continue defending this economic ecosystem of european soccer and its sustainability basically saying that hey we took care of ffp we are in compliance it is mad that psg can do this and we can't and it's still funny that real and barcelona are and you know their likes are saying this because you know they have a lot of money they do some dubious things with their uh money in order to sign players but it's still kind of true. This type of spending, thanks to ties to oil countries, is bad. The fact that they were able to do this without seemingly any repercussion spells out pretty poorly that FFP is not as strong as we need it to be in order to maintain you know, financial competency within our clubs. And it's kind of sad to see uh, PSG being able to buy their way out of this just because they have ties to an oil state like Qatar. And they're also affording him, uh, him being Mbappe and them being PSG, more of a say when it comes to sporting decisions. I, I don't know exactly to what extent, uh, but some reports are saying that he will have some sort of say when it comes to picking a head coach, picking players to trade or uh, sign or whatever, which is huge because no player ever gets that decision. Uh, think about this as being like the LeBron James of the team. They want him so bad that they're giving him not only a boatload of cash, but also so much say in what actually happens with the club. This is Mbappe FC for all that it really counts for. Uh, this is a huge move, not just financially, because of course we have like the amount of debt that they're in, uh, the amount of money that they're spending. I mean, 600 million euros as their wage bill as it stands and now you add what uh, the, the difference between his current contract and his this new contract i mean that's huge that is legitimately huge and so how will this turn out though i mean the way i see it i think they'll do well i, I hot take i think having the one of the best if not the soon to be best player in the world play for your team is going to be you know lending itself to good results but still I think that this will be positive because he's still going to his prime. I mean, he is what going to be 26, 28 when, when, when this uh, deal runs through. I mean, that's going to be huge. He's going to be in his prime scoring goals in the Champions League and Liga. So I think they'll do well, but not markedly better than before. And that's the kicker. Mbappe is a special player, but 600 million over three years is larger than some countries, you know, GDP. This is a blank check being written by Qatar for just three years, and it's not even a long-term deal. Like, and we can joke around all about, I'm not joking around, but some people can like joke around it as much as they want, but this really is a show of intent. PSG are pushing as hard as possible to win the, the Champions League and become a dynasty, and it either works and the positive feedback loop of winning begins a la Real Madrid, or 2025 comes around and PSG lose Mbappe, lose the 600 million uh, in wages that they spent and have nothing to show for it. If this fails, I really don't know how else Qatar can throw money at this project and improve it, save for dumping FFP pretenses and buying literally everybody. Because if you're going to spend this much money on Mbappe, like what more can you do? You literally have Messi. You literally have Neymar. You're losing Di Maria, but you still have the likes of Donnarumma, of Hakimi, of Marquinhos, of of uh, Verratti. 
of Paredes if he's staying around. Like these are some world class players, and if not world class players, some very good role players. The fact that you aren't winning, the fact that you are having right now a carousel of players, speaks volumes into this project. And the fact is, like, you know, they can keep on throwing money, but if they throw this amount of money and it still doesn't work, who's to say that the next time they do it, it's going to work still? This is new levels of, of, of expenditure that we have not seen before. And if it fails, I, I really don't know what else they can do. And whether that means that they start slowly pulling out or at least kind of pull back on it, on the project i don't know but this is huge and if psg don't win a champions league after all of this i just don't know i just don't know what they'll do i don't know what mbappe is going to do after this because i highly doubt that any other team is going to be able to afford his wages after this deal is done it's either he stays and he continues to demand more money or at least the same or he goes to another oil club like Newcastle United or Manchester City now. Or maybe, I don't know, Barcelona Real Madrid can make some money and get him. I don't know. But the fact is, this is a huge move. This is a huge move. Now, uh, Pochettino's out as their head coach, so who replaces him? I don't know. Uh, Joachim Lowe, potentially, he's available. Do they try to entice Conte or Unai Emery? Maybe. Those are some pretty good managers. I know people were talking about, what, Allegri? Ancelotti, I don't know. Don't think so. I I I do not think so. That's happening. Uh, Zinedine Zidane also don't think that's happening. Considering I, I'm pretty sure he's going to try to go for the, the 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 French national team. So who knows who's replacing him? That's that's another issue that yet that is yet to be solved. Like what manager wants to take care of this team that has a lot of egos and a very much inflated one with Mbappe getting his huge deal. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, also in France, we have uh, Leon winning the UEFA Women's Champions League, a 3-1 win over Barcelona. Their eighth championship since 2011. They have obviously very clearly been one of, if not the best women's team in this past decade of all time, potentially. And so great, great job from them to win this. Barcelona, who won it last year, was very close to having a near-perfect season. I think they actually lost a group stage game, like Wolfsburg or something, or uh, a knockout game. Uh, but they, they won the league, they won the cup, the, 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 their uh, FA Cup in uh, Spain, and they are very close to winning another Champions League title, completing the treble, but it just was not meant to be. Lyon was just too great for them. Congrats to the likes of uh, Americans, Kat uh, Macario, who scored the third goal in this 3-1 win over Barcelona, and Lindsey Horan. Uh, they won the title. Great to see Americans win. Uh, going through this game, very, very clinical from Leon right off the gate. Uh, Amanda and Henry scored the first goal. Uh, Ada uh, Stol... Oh, man. Stolsmo. Hegerberg. There we go. Assisted by uh, Baca. Makes it 2-0 in uh, the 23rd uh, minute. And then Macario, third minute. Scores it. It is three to zero. And then who else but Alexia Putellas for Barcelona scores again. And maybe we have, we have a game. You know, a, a two goal deficit is not too much going into the ha the half. Uh, but Leon was able to basically get it. You know, bully Barcelona back down. Make sure that they they didn't cause any issues for them, and they won uh, the cup. So congrats to Leon. Ol, great great job. Very happy, and uh, I'm sure Jack's going to want Chelsea to win this, but the likes of Leon and Barcelona have been very talented the last couple of years. So, we'll see. We'll see. Next up, the uh, next country, I should say, is uh, Spain. No Mbappe for Real. Ha, 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 ha. That's actually the notes that I wrote down because I think it is funny. Uh, no Holland either. Uh, I, I see a lot of Manchester City fans very happy that, that they got the Erling Holland deal done as early as they did, because Real Madrid, I bet, would would put pump so much money into that deal if given the choice. But unfortunately, that's not the case for them. So they're probably going to be going for literally any talented world-class right-winger that they could potentially afford. They'll, they'll throw whatever it takes to get that. 
Uh, other than that, we have uh, some relegation news to talk about. Uh, I predicted Mallorca to go down, and that was not the case. We actually have uh, Cadiz also not going down. It is Granada going down. They failed to win their last game. It was a 0-0 draw to Espanyol. At home, too, and Cadiz and Mallorca miraculously get some wins and leapfrog Granada by just one point. Uh, Cadiz, well, I, I thought Cadiz was, was going to get uh, the win over, uh, uh, who is it? Uh, Deportivo Alaves, yes. Jack had some reservations about that. He, him saying, I think Mallorca would be going down. Uh, Mallorca get the 2-0 away win to Osasuna. So they stay up, and Granada, again, fail to win and therefore go down. Sad, sad, sad. Great place Granada is. Unfortunately, it was not meant to be. Oh, well. Uh, other than that, table, pretty similar to where things left off. Barcelona lost. They're still second place. Uh, Villarreal is there i think i think maybe they were battling it out with uh bill bow for that last spot in the europa conference league but you know they're there and bill bow's not all right uh so for this last country that we're going to be talking about what happened there we have germany with two cup wins for their uh teams first of all being the dfb pokal final against the Freiburg and RB Leipzig. Keep in mind, RB Leipzig have been runners-up uh, the last couple of years. Uh, two, two of the last five years, I believe, they were in the final most recently, losing against Borussia Dortmund last year. Freiburg uh, have never been to a, a final, I don't believe, for DFE Pokal, so this is huge. And they start off on the front foot. Uh, Egestein in the 19th minute puts Freiburg ahead huge huge uh goal for them and it's looking pretty good especially when uh Hauslenberg of RB Leipzig uh gets a red card gets a sent off and that is a huge blow they immediately have to uh put Schobischlei in to uh replace him and you know th th this is th this is an issue I I I said Schobischlei uh definitely not Schobischlei considering that Schobischlei is a uh a number 10 but regardless, they, they had to uh, replace him. I believe it. Uh, Mugeli, is that how you pronounce it? Daniel Olmo uh, uh, also got, got, got subbed in uh, to try to you know, create stuff for RB Leipzig right after that red card. And they did. Who other than one of the best players uh, in this season, uh, Christopher Nkuku, who scored the equalizer to make it 1-1. One one. Keep in mind, he's only 24 and he has had an amazing, amazing season for his RP Leipzig team in the league. 20 goals and 13 assists. You will be hard-pressed to find a better player at that young of an age. Literally second to only Robert Lewandowski, which, of course, he's going to be uh, four goals plus assists. And a second to Thomas Mueller, which, of course, is going to be uh, four assists by itself. Very, very good, good performance from him. Uh, not just in this game, but uh, for this entire season. Lots of men at the matches in the past couple of uh, games. Huge, huge game from him here, assisted by Willy Orban, that equalizer, by the way. And it goes on all the way to extra time because they couldn't bring out uh, any goals for the deadlock either team. Uh, uh, Tyler Adams makes an appearance in the 99th minute, and it really, really looks like uh, RB Leipzig and, and Freiburg could get a chance and I, I i believe uh rb leipzig had a chance like like freiburg uh had a penalty or rb leipzig had a penalty shout uh right at the end of the game uh but it turns out that the the, the freiburg uh the, the freiburg player uh did not foul foul daniel olmo got the ball first while they were in the box daniel olmo of course uh fell to the ground but Referee side wasn't a penalty. A little bit of a controversial move, uh, but that's just how it was. Uh, Kevin Campbell for RB Leipzig gets a sent off as well. Cringe, cringe, cringe. And it goes to penalties. It goes to penalties, and it was very tense. I was watching it. Uh, Nkuku makes his 
not Niels Peterson for Freiburg makes his. Willy Orban, who I've been a big fan of, also scores his. Christian Gunter of Freiburg skies his. And the rest is history. Olmo uh, and Henriks for RB Leipzig make theirs. Uh, Schlarbeck keeps Freiburg in it. Uh, but uh, Ermedin uh, Demirovic, I believe is how you pronounce it, uh, for Freiburg has to score to keep them alive and he hits it off the bar and out and RB Leipzig win their first ever trophy, first ever title, a major title as a team. And it's huge. I'm really happy for uh, Tyler Adams. Not too happy that RB Leipzig won, of course. I would love to see Freiburg win. But it was, it was a very good penalty shootout for RB Leipzig, even if uh, their goalkeeper didn't really have to do anything too much. Still, really cool to see. Congrats to RB Leipzig and their fans, which I was surprised there were so many in the stands. I did not know for them to have such a, a big following. So, cool. Other than that, the final thing we're going to talk about today is, of course, Eintracht Frankfurt winning the Europa League final against Rangers. It was 1-1, to the final score. Eintracht Frankfurt winning on penalties. Now, I am sad that West Ham aren't here. I'm glad the, the team that beat us won it because it makes us look a little bit better. Even though I'm still sad that definitely could have been us. But, you know, Eintracht Frankfurt, they had a lot of fans, a lot of you know excited fans. They haven't won like a European competition since like the 70s or whatever. And so, you know, every time they have played away from home, there's a bunch of like people in white uh, wearing Eintracht Frankfurt gear and cheering them on. So that was really cool to see. They were chanting, they were, seeing, they were screaming, like, like they, their fans definitely came to show up. Uh, but unfortunately, so did the Rangers players who struck first in the 57th minute. It was a Joe Arriba goal, 1-0. to zero. And it's looking tough until Rafael Santos Bora, uh, assisted by Kostic, great player, uh, equalizes for Eintracht Frankfurt in the 69th minute. It goes to uh, extra time, and I, there's so many like good chances. I feel like Rangers had a little bit better of chances in the in the extra time period, but it was legitimately going uh, back and forth. James Sands makes an appearance in the hundred and first minute for Rangers, and it was definitely back and forth. There were so many like really good chances that were saved by either McGregor or Trap. Trap uh, had to save a lot. McGregor. Also, there, there's some uh, uh, amazing chances uh, by Eintracht Frankfurt that unfortunately uh, wouldn't go in in, a, in regulation, uh, not regulation, in extra time. And so it goes to penalties. It goes to penalties. And I should say that uh, Rangers decided to sub in some players to go into the penalty shootout. Uh, Kemar Roof uh, was one of them, even though he didn't... Uh, uh, you know he, you know he did, he did end up shooting. He did end up shooting. So it, it was him and Aaron Ramsey that got subbed in for uh, penalties in the 117th minute. And when it got to penalties, every single player uh, made this. You know the likes of uh, Tavernier for Rangers, Scott Arfield, Kamar Roof. I just mentioned uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. A lot of clinical takes here. Rustich, Kamada, Kostic. One player missed though, and it happened to be a Rangers player, Aaron Ramsey former player uh, for Arsenal and Juve, misses it. Uh, he puts it uh, right into the feet of Trapp, the goalkeeper for Eintracht Frankfurt, and it gets saved. Heartbreaking for uh, Rangers fans who uh, were right behind the goal when it happened. Eintracht Frankfurt fans went wild, and Rafael Santos Bor made it a win for Eintracht Frankfurt. A huge, huge win. Congratulations to Eintracht Frankfurt fans. An incredible, incredible game from them. And yeah, I'm really excited to see them in the Champions League now. That's going to be absolutely nuts. Rangers fans will have to wait just a little bit more for uh, some more European glory, even though they've had some before, so you can't even argue, can't even argue. Uh, but yes, it was a very fun game, very interesting game. I love when such big games go into penalty shootouts, as long as I'm a neutral, because I cannot take it when it's my own team. All right, with that, went through all five countries as well as the U.S. Women's National Team. Again, we're going to go more in-depth into like the actual players and how they uh, performed, maybe a best 11 at the uh, conclusion of the Champions League season, uh, as well as talk a little bit more probably this Thursday about you know contextualizing the season further, talk about the most 
uh, interesting storylines, the most disappointing teams, the best teams uh, in, in the top five leagues. That's all coming up, but we'll definitely get to that. Uh, if you enjoy this episode, follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show or follow our website, FinalThirdShow.com for all things Final Third Show related. One-stop shop, you know the deal. Uh, as I said before, we'll see you guys this Thursday for that deep dive episode. We'll see you guys same time, same place for another news and predictions episode next week. Probably talking about the, the Champions League final and what happened there. Tell a friend about the show. Tell your dad about the show. I'm sure he would love to hear about Manchester City, AC Milan, RB Leipzig winning titles in their respective countries. And yeah, we'll see you guys there. See ya. <laughs>